Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here, and I have a special guest with us this week, State Senator Elaine Phillips of the 7th Senate District on the North Shore of Long Island. And as we approach Election Day of 2018, November 6th, don't forget, this is one of the pivotal races for control of the State Senate, the, I mean, the entire State Senate in New York. It really will determine, essentially, whether the State Senate stays in Republican hands or goes over to the Democrats. And standing between the possible blue wave is State Senator Elaine Phillips, who has become a good friend over the years and has really uh, distinguished herself in representation uh, here on Long Island. But I also want her to have the opportunity to introduce herself and the district. So, Senator, welcome to Spin Class. Thanks, Michael. Thank you very much for having me here. And as uh, as you said, I represent the 7th Senate District. And just to give your listeners an idea where the 7th Senate District is, it's the northwest quadrant of Nassau County. So it starts on the Queens-Nassau border from as far north as uh, Kings Point, Great Neck, all the way through and incorporating um, northern Elmont and Belmont Racetrack. Uh, and then it goes across on the north side, across the North Shore, Great Neck, Manhasset, Port Washington, through the Roslands, and then starts cutting south through Old Westbury, Westbury, Hicksville, at least the western half of Hicksville, and then along Old Country Road through the Willistons, Mineola, Garden City Park, um, New Hyde Park, uh, Franklin Square, not all of Franklin Square, a portion of it, Stewart Manor and Floral Park, and South Floral Park, and then Northern Elmont. So it's been an honor to represent the uh, 300,000 people that live in the 7th Senate District. So you would say this is actually a very diverse district, uh, even by New York standards. We kind of think of all the diversity in New York State being in New York City. But uh, as districts go, I mean, there's a lot of different groups in this district uh, and uh, of all types. Uh, obviously, we'll focus a little bit later on the Jewish aspect of the district, and it's a very, very Jewish district, uh, possibly one of the most in the state. But it's a very diverse district. And it is, Michael. It really is. Sorry to interrupt. Um, you know, uh, in school districts like Elmont, um, there are anywhere from 60 to 70 different languages. But that's true in Port Washington also, and that's true in Westbury. And, and I'll give your listeners an example. Uh, two weeks ago on a Sunday evening, I was in a, at an event that the Indian American community sponsored for the flood victims of Kerala. The next day, I was on a Korean radio talk show. Uh, that following Saturday, I was at a wonderful synagogue in Great Neck. So, you know, it is really an example of, of, uh, of, of diversity. It's a wonderful district to represent. Talk about why this district in particular is getting so much attention and why it's so important. Well, you know, um, as you mentioned, it really is the difference between having single-party, single-party, New York City politicians controlling Long Island and the rest of New York State or having representation here on Long Island. So this is always, because it is a diverse uh, Senate district, uh, I am on the Republican, the Independents, the Conservative, and the Reform Party ticket. 
tickets. But even with that, I am down almost 20,000 voters um, because there are more Democrats registered in the Senate district. But you know what? That didn't stop these people from voting me in two years ago because they they truly know that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a public servant and I am committed to helping all the constituents of the 7th Senate District. So the only way... As you mentioned, of you really winning is people are ticket splitters, essentially, or, you know, because you're you need Democrats and independents and people who aren't uh, affiliated with the party. You can't win with just Republican votes alone, or you probably won't win as opposed to can't. So talk about that for a second. Somebody goes to the ballot box and they think, how how are you going to motivate them to say, OK, well, I, it doesn't matter who else I vote for on the ticket, but if I'm going to go vote for state Senate. I know I have to vote for Elaine Phillips. Yeah, right. So first and you know most importantly, look at my record. I think my record speaks for itself. Um, I have uh, supported bipartisan issues. I have legislation with my name that has been supported on a bipartisan basis. You know, my job is is to get your the people of the 7th Senate District, their tax dollars back into the Senate District. And that's with a 14.5% increase in school aid for my Senate District, $112 million of, of more school aid for Nassau County. So that's, that's allowing people, you know, affordability, allowing people to be able to afford to live here on Long Island. And, and my record on the environment and protecting our water and on the social issues, such as the uh, landmark legislation that I helped co-write on sexual harassment in the workplace, and my domestic violence bill that I am the sponsor of. So, you know, I say to people, when you go into that voting booth on November 6, you have to decide, do you want Long Island to have a voice in New York state government, or you don't. And by voting for a Democrat and allowing the Democrats to get the majority, so the Senate Republicans have the majority by one seat. And it's even a little more technical than that, as you know, Michael. Sure. Um, it actually, one Senate uh, Democrat, Senator Simka Felder, conferences with the Republicans. So that gives us the majority. So if one of us loses our seat, loses our race. That means New York State will have single-party government. But it's not just so much the single-party government. is New York City politicians will control New York State. And it happened once before, Michael, and you know this. It happened once in decades, and that was in 2009 and 2010 when the New York City, the, the Democrats controlled New York State. We got $14 billion of new taxes in a two-year period of time. We got the MTA payroll tax, and we got school aid taken from our Long Island schools and sent to New York City. The lieutenant governor is quoted several months ago saying, you know what? Long Island gets too much school aid. If the Democrats, once the Democrats take control of the Senate, we're going to take that school aid and give it to New York City. This is her quote. I'm not making this up. It doesn't it's seem her particularly quote. politically smart of her to do that. No, it doesn't. Thank you. Mayor de Blasio in April was quoted, the best thing that could happen to New York City is for the 
the Senate to go to the Democrats. We, you need to vote to protect our voice on Long Island. And I go back and say, please, look at my record. I think, you know, I try to be humble, but we have a very strong bipartisan record in the Senate the last two years. This is Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. We're here with a special guest, Senator Elaine Phillips from the North Shore of Long Island, talking about a very pivotal pivotal state Senate race coming up on November 6th, potentially could determine the future of New York State and the future of control of the state Senate. And Senator Let's talk for a second about the Jewish dynamic here. This is one of the most Jewish districts. You mentioned Simcha Felder, obviously that being the super Jewish district. Right. We won't call this necessarily being a super Jewish district, but it's one of the most Jewish districts in the state. And, you know, clearly you're, you're, you're on Long Island. You're Jewish. The Jewish community is quite robust. Certainly in the North Shore, it's quite robust. It's also home to the largest community, I think, in New York of Jews who came from Iran, from Iranian or Persian Jews. And you're running against your opponent is somebody who comes out of that community. Uh, So talk for a second about what you've done and your relationship with the Jewish community in the district. Right. So I have always been a, a strong advocate for the Jewish democratic state of Israel. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel to Israel several times. You know, I say I have Israeli daughters. I have uh, some young woman, women that uh, from Haifa who lived with my family 12 years ago when the Hezbollah were raining rockets into to Haifa. Um, so um, I've traveled throughout you know, the country, and, um, and uh, I feel that uh, it's my duty as an American citizen to protect the state of Israel. But it goes beyond that. So when I was first elected um, in, uh, went into office in January 2017, I believe it was in February t- 2017 that I put forth legislation that would make sure that was an anti-BDS legislation that would prohibit the state of New York from transacting or funding or using any any entity that supported the BDS movement. And it did pass in the Senate. I will say it wasn't a unanimous pass. It, it passed 56 to 6. Um, there were six Democratic senators that voted against it. It never got it never got taken to the floor in the assembly, and you say, Senator Phillips, why not? Well, one, we have to ask our our the majority of the uh, assembly, which are Democrats, why didn't it get to the floor? But my guess is because of New York City, that the majority of our assembly is controlled by New York City. Why would New York City be against combating BDS? Pro Palestinian. Really? See, what puzzles me about some of these votes is here you have your colleagues in the Republican conference, many of whom represent very rural districts with almost no Jews. That's right. I, I mean, uh, and... That's right. You know, if you want to look at protecting Israel solely as a Jewish issue, which I don't, but let's just assume that. And then you have some Democrats who represent pretty large Jewish communities, but yet they're not willing to kind of fight that that BDS fight. Now, just, I, I mean... Ha- do you have good discussions with with any of them up there about this? Is there any give and take or 
as far as how people feel and why they would not. It's common sense legislation. It really is common sense legislation. I know I've had discussions with my own conference on the Republican side, and you are absolutely right when you talk about many of my fellow senators don't have a Jewish population, you know, maybe in upstate, uh, way upstate New York, but they understand it's important for all New Yorkers. They understand that the BDS movement is hatred. They understand that Israel is an important friend and ally of the United States, and therefore they're willing to support this legislation. I don't know why, why the leadership in the Senate Democratic Conference, why this didn't pass unanimously. And, you know, and I have to mention another piece of legislation that um, I put forth, and it really is in the same vein, is, you know, I had the opportunity to get to know Stand With Us, uh, a wonderful organization that uh, uh, helps support students when they are... um, when they are feeling um, anti-Semitism and where the, when they're experiencing anti-Semitism in maybe their high schools or colleges. And uh, it's a wonderful organization that does a lot of education out there. So one of the things that we have found is on many college campuses, there are student clubs or student organizations that are titled like they are Zionists, that they are pro-Israel. But when you once you join you realize what they're really doing is spreading anti-Semitic messages and uh, uh, BDS messages and hatred messages. So my legislation says, you know what? New York State should not use taxpayer dollars, (coughs) excuse me, to fund those clubs and student organizations that are spreading hatred in the SUNY and CUNY campuses, because we can only control the state universities. And once again, it passed the Senate. But this time, 12 of the Democratic senators voted against it. And this wasn't just your freshman senators like I I was these last two years. This is your Senate Democratic leadership that voted against this. Um, once again, I shake my head. The assembly would not take it up. But let me also, though, say on the the, the first bill where it uh, prohibits New York State from uh, doing business with any organization that promotes BDS, um, it did pass in the Senate. As we stated, the assembly didn't even take it up. But the governor did do an executive order. So, you know, New York State is standing up against BDS but, you know, the governor is not going to be there forever. We need to enact legislation and put this into law. Sure. And I think what should be troubling for many in the Jewish community here is that with the new, after the Democratic primaries, after the primaries, you have some candidates on the Democratic side, like a Julia Salazar, potentially coming into the Senate, and she's avowedly pro-BDS. She is avowedly, I mean, it's, you could, we could make, you could make the case that some of the senators who didn't vote for your legislation, they might feel, well, they might have some reservations about it, but they're not necessarily calling for a boycott of Israel. Julia Salazar, who will be a member in good standing of the Democratic Conference, actually is calling for a boycott of Israel. In, in So we're actually seeing a shift, uh, an incredible shift in the, in, the Democrat, in the Democratic side. A horrible shift. Horrible shift. And, you know, my opponent had a Facebook uh, post supporting her. Right. And she is a Persian Jewish 
woman. Yeah. I, 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 it's outrageous. It's it's inexplicable. I, I truthfully I can't understand it. It's what you have right now is is a number of and the New York Times actually wrote about it this past weekend, right? That the New York Times starts as the Democratic Party still pro Israel essentially. And I love I'm sure I'm not put words in your mouth. I'm just telling you for myself. I love if both sides were were pro Israel. I don't as I don't think that it should necessarily be exclusively a partisan issue. And uh, I think but the fact is that right now you have many voices on the Democratic side who are side, who are siding against Israel. That's correct. That's correct. And, you know, we never used to have New York City politicians who kind of felt that way. But, you know, one more point I actually wanted to ask you, I guess, about the, your opponent is that so if she is out there courting a certain uh you know that the pro-Israel constituency. What what is there a message that she's giving uh, about about you about your uh, about your activism on behalf of Israel, or that is not necessarily been a paramount issue right now? Well, first, you know, this is the first Persian Jewish woman to run, I believe, for state office. Right. Um, I think she was the first. Persian Jewish councilwoman as well from right, North Hampstead. Right. And um, she has a, uh, you know, a, a very heart-wrenching story um, when she escaped um, persecution in Iran. But I, I, I truly appeal to all the constituents, but in particular um, the Jewish and then the Persian Jewish vote. This is not a a vote for um, for because you like someone. Um, this is a vote in November to protect Long Island, to protect our taxes, to protect our affordability, to protect our public schools, to protect our private schools. Thank you very much. The, to protect our environment, to protect our voice in New York State versus having New York City control it. And I, I go back to the one example where we had New York City controlling all of New York State, and that was in 2009 and 10, and I apologize for repeating myself, but this is so important. $14 billion of new taxes, an MTA payroll tax that has crippled small businesses, and school aid taken from Long Island and given it to New York City. So this is a vote for your voice. It is a vote to make sure that we have a voice. We must keep bipartisan government. We must keep the Republicans in the majority in the Senate. This is Spin Class here on the Nachum Ziegel Network, and we're talking to State Senator Elaine Phillips from the 7th Senate District. On Long Island, a pivotal swing suburban district. Actually, I guess one of your classic swing suburban districts. And Senator, you know, there's been a there's been this conventional wisdom out there that Republicans are in big trouble in a swing suburban type district. So, what are you doing uh, to to counter that potential blue wave? I, I don't want to call. We don't know what kind of wave it's going to be. But if there is this out there that 
Republicans are going to get crushed in the suburbs. You know, how do you differentiate yeah. yourself? You know, uh, again, look at my record. Look at my record when it comes to, uh, you know, security, financial security. Look at my record when it comes to school security. Look at my record when it comes to environmental security. Look at my record when it comes to social issues, security, sexual harassment, domestic violence, IVF. You know, for so many families, and I know this was a very big issue. Um, you that's know, a b- huge issue in the Jewish community. That's right. Uh, absolutely. You know, I work very, very closely uh, with the Jewish community on this legislation. So yeah, just I, to explain for the listeners out there, uh, IVF, getting that covered by insurance companies and have them, uh, you know, certainly many in the Jewish community are want to have children so if they can't it's it's very it's extremely crushing uh for them and the state has stepped forward for many years now and although it has to be refunded and renewed all the time to assist families in need of in vitro fertilization and you know senator phillips has actually been one of those who's really stepped up well and the state has done that but the fact is there is no mandate for insurance companies to cover ivf and I, my, my legislation is the first legislation that would mandate insurance companies to pay up to $50,000 um, for IVF uh, treatments. And, um, you know, we passed it in the Senate. We worked with the uh, IVF groups, but we also worked with the insurance industry. And interesting, I was telling someone today that as a New York State employee, I do have IVF coverage. However, as a private uh, constituent in New York State, you don't have it. So where's that fairness? So um, we passed it in the New York State Senate on a bipartisan basis. It was passed. But once again, the Assembly wouldn't even take up. They said they were going to do it. They said they were going to pass it at the end of the legislative year. But in the end, they didn't. One more issue just on the Jewish side, particularly, is Holocaust education. And I know that's something you kind of stepped up very forcefully on. Tell us tell us what happened and you know, why you felt that was so necessary. Uh, a lot of people feel out there is that you know the Holocaust gets good attention. Obviously, you can never get enough attention, and we can never learn enough about it. But uh, there, there was a troubling incident in upstate New York that you felt that really needed to be addressed. Well, there, there was. Uh, there was an AP uh, history class um, where a teacher um, um, had the students take sides, and one side were um, were arguing why the Holocaust was, you know, truly a horrific period of time in history, but the other side was arguing why it was justified which in today's day and age is, is you know, I'm shaking my head. I, how, how... Well, I've always been taught there are two sides to every story, but not necessarily, not, on not, this not one. A, Thank right. you very much. Right. Not on this one. So we went in and we looked back at what the sta- state mandates for Holocaust education. And actually, there are three periods in, in history of a public school education. I believe it's third grade, eighth grade, and one other time in high school, I want to say 10th grade, Um, that it's in the uh, history agenda to be taught. So I put in legislation, and again, supported by my Republican conference, um, that said we needed to go in, that the state education department needed to go back 
and confirm and make sure that Holocaust education was being taught in every school district in New York State, not just in the school districts that have a Jewish population, but in all school districts. You know, past the one house, past the Senate, once again, the assembly didn't take it up. Incredible. And, Senator, I would be remiss to not have a Long Island conversation without discussing the state of the Long Island Railroad or this unsettling state of the Long Island Railroad. What can be done to fix the Long Island Railroad? I know you've actually been involved in some of the capital improvements, but on a day-to-day basis, commuters still still suffer. Yeah, they really do. And, in fact, um, sadly, 2018 is on track, excuse the pun, but is is on track to having the worst on-time performance in the last two decades. That's the last... 20 years. And if you look at fare increases just for the last 10 years, um, fares have increased by 40% over the last 10 years. So what business gets to operate where your, your quality of your product has gone down significantly, but the cost of your product has gone up significantly? I mean, no business could stay. So there's a couple things that we've done. First, uh, I put in legislation just two weeks ago that said to the MTA board, to the Long Island Railroad, don't increase fare. There's a scheduled, they're about to uh, vote and approve um, fare increases for the next two years, 2% in 2019, 2% in 2020. And compounded, it works out to be about $56, $60 million um, increase in fare for our commuters. So we are saying to the MTA board, don't increase fares until your on-time performance gets to your own measure, which is your own goal, which is 94%, and you increase customer satisfaction by 5%. 5%, it's not that much. But we just don't put in the legislation and say that. We actually put aside a pot of money of $60 million, and we say, take the challenge Take the challenge, Long Island Railroad. Meet your own bar, and we will give you the $60 million to offset the $60 million. You cannot put their lack of investing in, in infrastructure for decades on the burden, on the backs of the, the commuters. So... Uh, I don't have an assembly sponsor yet. I need a Democrat assembly sponsor. I hope someone steps up. I think this affects the 300,000 commuters that go into Penn Station from Long, uh, from Long Island every day. This is, this is affecting uh, the affordability of the Long Island. But I want to say also that, uh, you know, I, I do hear from President Eng. He has done some... Uh, Great things already. They found um, that uh, 10 of the 44 switches were causing the majority of the delays that were caused by switches. And instead of it was in the capital plan to fix these in 2020, well, he's prioritized that and made sure that they've gotten 
fixed already. You know, in Kew Gardens, Queens, the anybody that's gone to that station, the station isn't long enough for the trains. So what happens is people realize that they're not in the front four cars and they have to walk up and it takes time and it affects the on-time performance. And uh, President Ang was saying, you know, President, sorry, you know, we it will take years to get the station extended. Well, you know what? They put up through with steel and scaffolding, and they extended the station by 50%. And, you know, striking bridges has been another. So they just fixed, in my Senate district, the Post Avenue Bridge that was causing 16, I think, of uh, 50 of the uh, the strikes last year. So President Ang really is trying to make sure that they're on time performance and uh, uh, is trying to do the right thing. And, you know, he knows that he has my support, but I am just saying don't raise fares. Right. Don't raise fares until you get to where you have said you want to be on on-time performance and customer satisfaction. Okay, last question as we wrap up. You're not a career politician. Is there anything that surprised you? Or okay, actually, give me one thing that surprised you when you got to Albany. You know, um, I think uh, I think my first year going up there, I was um, extremely impressed with the backgrounds of so many of my colleagues, from chiropractors to contractors to really people that want to be public servants. But I will also say I felt a true bipartisan um, togetherness my first year. This past year I go up in January because it's an election year, all of a sudden that bipartisan working together went out the window, which is really unfortunate that the entire New York State legislature turns over every two years. Well, I guess, you know, that seems to be the trend throughout uh, throughout the country. Uh, Senator Phillips, I want to thank you for joining us here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Michael. And we hope uh, that we will have you back in the near future, uh, hopefully as a state senator once again. So thank you very much for joining us here on this special edition of Spin Class. 